Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, this is New Books in Southeast Asian Studies coming to you via iTunes and the web. I'm Nick Cheesman, a member of the Institute for Advanced Study, Princeton. Today's guest is Patrick Jory, Senior Lecturer in Southeast Asian History at the University of Queensland, who is joining us to discuss Thailand's theory of monarchy, the way Santra Jataka and the idea of the perfect man, published in 2016 by State University of New York Press and forthcoming in paperback in 2017. Patrick, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Nick. Let's get started with a thumbnail and unproblematized sketch of the Wesantara Jataka for listeners unfamiliar with either this Jataka or the Jataka stories in general. First of all, what are the Jataka and why do they matter? Okay, well, the Jatakas are also known as birth stories. They're stories of the incarnations of the Buddha before he became the Buddha. That is when he was uh, a bodhisattva, uh, what is known as a bodhisattva, a future Buddha. Uh, the Jatakas uh, form part of the, the Tripitaka, the uh, canonical scriptures of, the, of Theravada Buddhism. There are uh, nominally 550 in number. Um, the Vasantra Jataka is the final of those 550 Jatakas. So in other words, it's the story of the Buddha's previous incarnation to the incarnation when he is enlightened as the Buddha. And for that reason, because it's the final or the, or the penultimate incarnation, it's, uh, it's an extremely important story in the, the overall structure of the, uh, so the narrative of, of, the, of the Buddha's enlightenment. Um, it's a story of uh, Prince Vasantra who performs... Uh, what is known as the perfection of giving. Um, and this is one of the, the ten perfections that the Bodhisattva, that is the future Buddha, needs to achieve before he you know, has reached sort of a state of moral perfection that enables him to be enlightened as a Buddha. And the arguably the, uh, the, the most um, important of these perfections, known as the Parami, uh, in the Pali or the, the Barami in Thai, um, is uh, the perfection of giving. And in this story... Uh, Prince Vasantra gives away everything he has. He gives away the, the white elephant of the kingdom uh, that, uh, which is uh, the prince, which gets him into trouble with the townsfolk. They experiment from the kingdom. Uh, he gives away, uh, progressively gives away all of his wealth. Um, and uh, most, uh, I guess, poignantly, he gives away his, his own children, his two children, Charlie and Gandha, and his wife, uh, Matsi. And uh, in this great act of giving, he, he achieves perfection of giving. Um, and that, so I say, is uh, one of the, uh, the, the requirements uh, that he needs to fulfill in order to become enlightened as the, as the Buddha in his next incarnation. So structurally, you could say it's almost, although it's all, you, you can kind of get into trouble with such comparisons, but it perhaps performs a sort of similar role to you know, the story of the, the crucifixion in Christianity, this, this essentially important story um, in, uh, in, in, um, in this case, in, in uh, the story of, uh, of the Buddha. 
So who or what got you interested in the topic and how did it lead to a book-length study? Sure. As you may know, uh, Thai history tends to be quite elite-centric and the further back you go, the more sort of elitist it is. Part of that is because of the nature of the source material, which tend to be produced by, by the court, uh, court scholars um, and such like. Uh, part of it is because of Thailand's uh, peculiar experience of colonial rule where it wasn't formally colonised. So there is uh, not a same kind of, sort of popular nationalist nationalism that you find in other Southeast Asian countries, which kind of is a kind of a counter to an elite sort of uh, centred history. So I was trying to find, I wanted to write a kind of a, sort of a history from below type uh, study, and I was having trouble finding one. Um, and my supervisor, uh, Craig Reynolds, uh, uh, suggested I look at I look at this story of the Santra Jataka, which was well well known that it is a very was a very popular story in, in Thailand, uh, an important Buddhist scripture, but important not because not not simply because not not simply amongst uh, you know learned monks, but it uh, was you know immensely popular at the you know the village level amongst ordinary people. So I thought, aha, okay, here is a here is a chance for me to kind of somehow get hold of a uh, of an expression of, of popular culture, and somehow perhaps I could write a some kind of um, some kind of cultural history from below uh, as a sort of a foil to this sort of elitist centric uh, elitist type history that we that is so common in uh, Thai historiography. So that was the original idea that I uh, that set me off on this uh, on this study. What sort of materials did you use, and how did you use them when you were doing the research? Yes, well, the first thing I did, of course, was to sit down and, and read the thing in the original uh, Thai version. And uh, I don't read Pali. I obviously read the English version, but I wanted to focus on the, the Thai language materials. Um, so there's a, there, there are many versions of this story. And one of the parts, one of the things I look at in the, in the book is the, um, uh, sort of the official versions and sort of various other versions that are, are popular in different parts of the country. So the version I used was the one that was sanctioned by the Thai Ministry of Education. Um, and I actually discovered it, it's actually uh, a source of some of the, the best-known you know, uh, verse, a poetic verse in sort of Thai literature. You know, some some chapters, particularly the chapter when uh, the Santra gives away his two children and and his wife sort of comes back from the forest and she's sort of you know beside herself because the children have disappeared. It's just absolutely the poetry is is very moving. Uh, so it was it was a you know, it was a good thing to, to read. From a sort of an aesthetic point of view, the, the idea that I had would be to was to um, look at different versions of this story in different parts of the country. So I'd look, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd seen the version that was compiled by um, the, the Thai court and later on the Ministry of Education, the official version, as it were. And I thought, aha, well, I'll, if I look in sort of uh, regional versions, I'll find you know, maybe perhaps a counter narrative uh, or at least variations, which might, might sort of um, might lead me into, you know. Sort of understanding this text in a different way, so I, I, I had a, a year's fieldwork in in Thailand. I went around the country, and that's what I did. I sort of collected local versions, and and, and read through them. <laughs> and as happens in PhD research, uh, things turned out differently. I actually found out it was pretty much the same, you know, wherever you went. That the central narrative, and there were other reasons for that, the central narrative was pretty much the same. Where there were variations were in, for example, uh, the descriptions of of flora and fauna. And actually, this is a really big part of the of the of the Vasantra Jataka, um, 
which is I, I didn't actually go down this path, but uh, the you know the, the descriptions of of, of the of, of the forest and the you know the the, the plants and the animals are extremely detailed and again quite beautiful aesthetically, you know, um, very aesthetically impressive. Um, so it's just part part of this you know corpus of you know knowledge of the environment. Uh, uh, it, it also has this role. But so the, the, the as I say the um, uh, what, what what I discovered was that there, there there were no real sort of subversive versions of this text, although. I should say there is another book coming out on the Mitsantra Jataka written by um, Catherine Bowie, who uh, she argues that there, there, is, there are sort of there are subversive versions uh, of a kind, um, but I, I guess I went around a, a different route. I, I, I saw this as much more of a of a a way that sort of I guess elitist discourse perhaps has been has been sort of localized throughout you know throughout the kingdom. Thanks for flagging uh, Catherine Bowie's uh, forthcoming book. Perhaps we'll have to get both of you on together to discuss that. That would be fun. Um, Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's go into the contents of the Jataka a bit more now and specifically your emphasis upon it as offering a pre-modern theory of monarchy. Uh, This is really the argument that you're making as to one of the reasons at least as to why it became so significant. Can you spell out some of the basic elements of the Buddhist ideology of kingship that you found in the Jataka? Okay, I should maybe preface uh, these comments by saying that one of the most uh, exciting articles for me when I was a PhD student was reading uh, Benedict Anderson's The Idea of Power in Javanese Culture. And although I know, it, it, you know it's been criticised since, um, but what I thought it did was it enabled you to kind of understand a sort of indigenous sort of theory of of power or politics uh, based on um, local uh, you know religious and cultural understanding which had a sort of textual basis rather than the the tools of modern Western political science so that was quite inspiring for me I thought well perhaps I can look at uh, perhaps I could do something similar for for a Thai political culture um, focusing on on the Visantra Jataka if, I mean, there, there has actually been quite a lot of uh, literature, scholarly literature, written on the Visantra Jataka, but it's always been presented as a religious tale um, or, or a literary tale, a folk tale. And where I, I guess, sort of departed from that was that I, I saw this, and the more and more I looked at it, um, and the more I, more I read this kind of complex of, of, of both Buddhist literature and also court literature, historiography, um, you know, sort of you know, chronicles and sort of pre-modern historiography, if you like, I could see um, that it was you know, it was related to ideas of, of power, authority, and, and and morality, of course. So this is what set me off on. You know, I, I wanted I wanted to sort of start off the, the project sort of start off by by me wanting to kind of write some kind of counter narrative to uh, sort of an elitist view of Thai history, but in the end, it, it really I sort of, I sort of ended up actually kind of looking at this, this um, uh, theory. What I ended up referring to as a theory of monarchy. So, so the the argument is that the the Fasantra Jataka and this complex of Buddhist literature really provided a sort of a storehouse of ideas for a uh, a Theravada Buddhist theory of monarchy, which I would argue, or I did argue. Um, 
uh, was present at the Thai court really up until the middle of the 19th century and goes into decline in, in really the second half of the 19th century. According, and according to this, this, this theory of, of monarchy, the Thai kings present themselves as bodhisattvas, that is, as, as Buddhas to be, in the same mode as, as, as uh, Prince Visantra in the Visantra Jataka. That is, they are, they are beings, moral beings, that are on the path towards, towards enlightenment. So uh, if you look at the, the Jataka stories, stories of the Bodhisattva, commonly they are princes or kings, sometimes a Brahmin, sometimes a merchant, but more often that they are royalty. So basically, these, uh, this religious literature should be, I argue, uh, understood as a, as a pre-modern theory of, of, uh, of uh, you know, monarchical authority. That's the, that's the essential argument of the book. And maybe break that down a little bit more. What, was the, what were the nature of the relations between the ruler and his subjects, and they were all men, uh, that, uh, okay. that this particular chadaka is, is trying to get at and, and spell out somewhat um, didactically for the purposes of instruction of the, of the, the subjects of the kingdom? In the in the Jatakas and as I say in this this more this broader uh, collection of texts which uh, you know uh, from which this 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 you know which are, which are related to this this um, uh, this understanding of of of, of the Bodhisatta. Uh, the Bodhisattva is the most meritorious being in the kingdom. So his, he has accumulated merit, that is, you know, good deeds, over um, you know, countless lifetimes, thousands, thousands of lifetimes in theory. Um, so society is uh, really um, in, in a kind of a moral hierarchy. So you have the most meritorious beings on, in, in the, uh, on the top, uh, led by the, the bodhisattva at the top, and the the, the least meritorious beings uh, at the bottom. So you have the you know, the um, you slaves, uh, peasants, uh, and, and such like. Um, so the the the, the Jataka and the Jatakas more broadly uh, support this this idea that political authority and moral authority are, are one and the same. The the, the bodhisattva king is the most uh, the purest being in the kingdom, morally pure, purest being in the kingdom, um, and that is the moral legitimacy that uh, enables him to to be uh, uh, to be the, the monarch as well. This moral uh, purity also enables him. This is a point that actually uh, Christine Gray uh, develops in her uh, 1986 uh, thesis um, very well. Um, that this moral purity enables uh, the the kings to see uh, more clearly because they're not you know, uh, under the influence of of greed, delusion, and all the other vices. They can see more clearly than anyone else. So this develops helps develop a theory that the, the kings are the most uh, uh, the wisest, most intellectually capable um, people in the kingdom as well. So it essentially, kind of uh, creates this uh, this moral, intellectual, and political hierarchy. Uh, which operated in the Thai Kingdom, I would argue, up until the you know the coming of the European colonial powers. So, if you were pressed by someone like me, for instance, um, how would you class this study? Would you say it's, um, it's a, I mean, your study of the Jataka is it a, a study of comparative political theory or an intellectual history or both or, or neither, something else? 
I was attracted to uh, comparative critical theory, but I, to be honest, I, I, I dropped it. I felt that uh, I, it was enough to just, sort of, uh, I guess, to, to write sort of an intellectual theory of this uh, you know, interesting conception of, of monarchy. Um, one of the, I mean, early on, I, I knew this, uh, the Jatakas generally were popular you know, throughout the Theravada regions of Southeast Asia, you know, Sri Lanka as well. Um, uh, but but I, I think, you know, it would be interesting for a, you know, a future scholar to, to look at how these um, stories function in, for example, you know, pre-modern uh, Myanmar. Um, I think Cambodia and Laos are closer to the, the Thai tradition. Uh, perhaps also Sri Lanka, but I guess you could say it's much more of an intellectual, a pretty kind of empirical um, uh, sort of intellectual history rather than uh, an example of you know comparative uh, comparative political theory study. So you've already mentioned that the book tracks the the rise and decline of the Jataka. Let's start with the rise. What period are we talking about? And what do the extant records show about the relationship between this Jataka and early state formation in mainland Southeast Asia? Yeah, I have a chapter that, I mean, the main, the main point I wanted to uh, make was that from the very early period of Thai state formation, we see the Jatakas appear immediately. Um, and uh, so, so right back in the, you know, from the sort of, 14th century, if not earlier, uh, we see the Jatakas referred to in uh, in inscriptions. Um, there are um, representations of the Jatakas, uh, you know, carved in stone. Um, and for the by the the 15th century, we get the the, the oldest uh, uh, Thai text, Thai translated text of the Visantra Jataka. So whenever whenever we see uh, a and sort of an expansion of, of of the Thai state, or a as we saw in the, the late 15th century with the kind of you know, increasing, um, uh, I guess, complexity and, and, and sort of a surge in sort of legal codification too under the King Boromo Dry Lokanat, we see uh, the the Jatakas and the Santa Jataka in particular get a, a lot of attention in the. Um, uh, the inscriptions uh, from from this period. So there's there's an obvious connection between uh, the political ideas that are being expressed in the the Jatakas and the expansion of the Thai state. And that that you know, as I say, from the at least the 14th century, right up until the early 19th century, we we see that. So they are I'm just sort of kind of supported. My argument, I, I hope that uh, this is a text that is uh, politically very important. It's not just, um, you know, in, in the realm of, of religious or, or literary discourse. And what was the secret of its success in its distribution? Um, other than its contents, how did it manage to become so popular? They didn't have internet, obviously. So what was the technology, in a sense, that was being used to 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 make this Jataka widely known and and uh, to make it such a significant part, not only of the religious and cultural, but also political life of the kingdom? Yeah, in the book, I give quite a lot of attention to the um, the performative aspect of of this text. Unlike a lot of Buddhist scripture. Uh, this text was meant to be recited aloud, 
uh, to a popular audience. And as far back as records, almost as far back as records go, uh, this, this is the case. Um, so, you know, we, as I say, from the 15th century, we have the first translated version of the Sancho Jataka, uh, the Mahachat Kamluang, which um, obviously it, when it's translated, it is meant to be recited to an audience that understands Thai, not just to Pali literate um, Buddhist monks. Uh, so as I said, I think th th this distinguishes it from a lot of Buddhist discourse, which is you know uh, purely in, in, in Pali. So it's meant to be uh, recited to, to to an audience, um, and we um, uh, by the you know by, by the 16th, 17th century, it's clear that there is a, a ritual um, that has um, that is established, if not earlier. I mean, it's, it's almost. It's, it's it's almost certain that the, the ritual started earlier, of of uh, reciting this text to an audience. And this became one of the at one stage the the, the, the most important uh, ritual occasion of the of the Buddhist calendar. So every year you would have the text recited in its entirety, all thirteen verses, over the course of the day, and you know the, all the faithful would, would come and listen to this text. And the reason that they came to listen, well, amongst the reasons that they came to listen was that there was another uh, very famous text, the, the Pramalai story, um, where this, this, this Buddhist monk, um, you know, it's a bit like the Dante story, sort of travels to the he heavens and travels to the, to, to the, store, to the hells. And uh, in, in heaven, he meets the future Buddha. This is Prasyarya Metrai, Maitreya, uh, the future Buddha. And Maitreya and, and uh, Pramalai says, ask Maitreya, okay, what should I tell the people on earth? Uh, if they want to sort of meet you, you know, in, in the future. And uh, uh, Maitreya tells him, oh, make sure that they listen to the Vesantra Jataka and make sure they listen to the, the thousand canonical verses um, which form part of the Vesantra Jataka within one day. So this kind of sets out, the, in a way, the, um, the, the ritual of the Vesantra Jataka. You have the recitation of these Pali verses uh, that, which are supposedly, uh, by tradition, believed to have been uh, uttered by the Buddha himself. Um, so these must be recited in, in one day. If the you know the the, the, the faithful listen to these one thousand verses, then they can be guaranteed they will, you know, be um, be be reincarnated in the the, the lifetime of, of Maitreya Buddha. So it has this very sort of millenarian uh, element to it. Um, uh, but it wasn't just the uh, the canonical verses, which in part of which are recited, the, the the translation was always recited as well, so you could understand the actual story. So the whole festival sometimes would, you know, take place over seven days. It'd be an occasion of of great merit making, and this is also another element which makes the story uh, enormously important for the for the monkhood because the story, the emphasis of the story is on is on merit making, giving giving alms to, to the monkhood. So there's an element of, of self-interest here that is the, that the monkhood needs to be you know, sustained materially, and this this story um, with its emphasis on the, per the perfection of giving <coughs> really is a story that that really promotes I guess really sort of the circulation of wealth from uh, you know communities in, in, into the monkhood. So for, for all these reasons, I'm sorry. I was just going to add. Also, you mentioned. Um in the text, the narrative structure also is important somehow. How did that uh, make it uh, particularly um, useful for the purposes of dissemination and how did it differ from 
other religious texts that might be read over a number of days, certainly that this particular Jataka isn't the only one. Uh, absolutely. And the most famous versions of the uh, the Vasantra Jataka or chapters of the Vasantra Jataka are written some, either by kings or princes or people in the uh, the, the royal Thai court. Uh, we know that it was a uh, kind of like a coming-of-age ritual for uh, princes to recite the Vesantra Jataka. It was um, uh, uh, you know, one of the, the, the most important royal ceremonies uh, of the calendar. So there's a very close association between um, you know, the, the aristocracy and the nobility and, and the recitation of the Vesantra Jataka. Right from right from the very beginning, and that continues up until uh, the, the late nineteenth century. This association with uh, the Thai elite. So you mentioned a number of features of the, the context of the performance of this Jataka, and, and one of the things I really liked and was really interested in the book was the emphasis that you do place on reading the Jataka uh, not in isolation as a doctrinal religious text, as other scholars have done, but rather by attending to the social and political conditions in which it was taught and the manner in which it was taught, which you've just spoken to. Uh, would you like to say anything else about the importance of context, why it matters? And uh, how do you, as an historian, read and research for context? Yeah, I, I think you, you need to see the Vasantra Jataka within this broader, as I say, complex of, of Buddhist literature and a kind of like a, a Buddhist historiographical uh, conception that has more or less, has largely disappeared in, in a way. That is that the, and the, the person whose work I uh, used to uh, outline this, this, this historiographical conception was a, a guy called Niti Osi Wong, probably Thailand's uh, you know, preeminent historian of the last sort of 30 or 40 years. And he looked at how uh, th th this uh, conception of um, Buddhist history, which goes back to the, the pledge of the, the Bodhisattva, who would later on uh, be incarnated finally as Gautama Buddha, the Buddha that, that, you know, that we know, you know countless incarnations in the past, uh, he makes a pledge, he's a Brahmin in this early incarnation, he makes a pledge to the Buddha of that time. I think he was the fifth or the sixth Buddha in this series of 20, 25 Buddhas. Uh, he makes a pledge at the feet of this Buddha, Tipan, uh, Dipankara, who incidentally is the, the name of the Crown Prince's uh, young son, the Thai Crown Prince's young son uh, today. Uh, he makes a pledge that you know in 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 the future I will become a I will become a I want to become a Buddha. So, uh, and if you look at uh, you know Thai or even you know uh, Lao uh, some of the, some of the, the Lao material I looked at as well, not some of the Northern Thai material. If you look at sort of pre-modern chronicles, they will often start off by this pledge that the Bodhisatta made um, to Tip Dipankara, and. Yeah, the, the Vasantra Jataka so it fits into this, this schema of, of the Bodhisattva, you know, accumulating uh, merit, accumulating the, the perfections over countless incarnations up until the Vasantra Jataka, which is the, the very you know, the penultimate incarnation before he becomes a Buddha. So, so th this is kind of the central historical narrative 
for you know the Theravada Buddhists up until the late 19th century, and Nitti kind of shows how the life when when you know books which sort of Buddhist literature which talk about the life of the Buddha uh, prior to about the mid 19th century, the actual human lifetime of the Buddha took up a very small part of the story. It was actually these you know incarnations prior to that. It was the stories in the Jatakas, and then there's this rather sort of short section which talks about the human lifetime of the Buddha. By the uh, mid-19th century and, and later on, it's the, the, the human life of the Buddha that gets central attention, and the earlier uh, or, or, the, or the, uh, the earlier incarnations are gradually sort of hived off, as it were. And Nitti argues that this is a, uh, a kind of a sign of, of a much more humanistic and modern understanding of uh, uh, of society and of the individual, which is reflected in, in the stories of the lifetime of the Buddha. So part of what the book is about is, is showing how this pre-modern conception of Buddha's history, in a way, come, you know, comes into crisis uh, by the second half of the 19th century, uh, related to um, the coming of the European colonial powers and, and a new conception of, of, of a new historical conception. Uh, and new conception of the history of the Thai state as well. I think you've pretty much asked the next question yourself. Let's just keep moving with that point. Uh, what tell us something more about the decline of this Jataka? What were the implications with the coming of the Europeans? And uh, yeah. how did the well still the ruling uh, Thai monarchy deal with this situation? This is really the crux of the book. Uh, I, for a long time, as you know, many PhD students will have the experience. You, you, you're not quite sure what what you're doing, and then then one day I found this article by uh, King Chulalongkorn, and it was quite an extraordinary article uh, written in um, the early 1902, I think it was, uh, where he basically discredits the Jatakas as a genre of, of literature, or as a genre of, of, of Buddhist literature, saying they're basically just folk tales. Uh, you shouldn't take them too seriously. Yeah, they're enjoyable read. Um, they form part of the corpus of Thai literature, but they, you know, they're full of all kinds of you know, miraculous events, which no one you know, believes anymore. And for me, who had read you know, the, the early literature, which, for which the Jatakas were this central you know, component of 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 of, the, of Buddhist understanding, it was quite remarkable. So that kind of I thought that, that was the, the sort of the, the gotcha moment, if you like, where I thought, okay, I, I might have a thesis here um, that there's the, the Jatakas have gone through this 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 period of crisis where the the Thai court, um, which had promoted these stories as being really stories about you know about what it is to be the ideal ruler, were being rejected at at the highest levels. Um, and there are two kind. I mean, it, it, I think it's a complex process. It takes place both on a uh, at the level of monastic scholarship, and uh, uh, it's obviously related related, related to the, uh, the the changing sort of geopolitical situation in Southeast Asia with the coming of the European colonial powers, the coming of of you know Western education, Western knowledge, and the uh, the need for the Thai court to engage with and to a certain extent kind of transform themselves in a way uh, that would enable them to survive this this period. So at a monastic level, as I outline in the book, we see uh, there is a, uh, a strand of Buddhist scholarship associated actually with King Dulongkorn's father, King, King Mongkut, when he was a, 
in, in the monkhood, which he actually starts up this very famous reformist Buddhist order, the, the Tamayut, uh, which later on becomes a, a sort of a, a political vehicle for him, really, um, to kind of secure the, uh, the throne later on. But this, the, the Tamayut uh, scholars uh, take a much more uh, critical view of, of the Jatakas. They are the, uh, the, 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 the sect, if you like, that um, abandons the recitation of, of the Vesantra Jataka, quite, a, um, uh, quite a, a radical thing to do, even though King Mongkut himself, he kind of like, I guess, as, as kings have to do, they sort of have to make compromises, and he actually composed a version of, uh, of the Vesantra Jataka, and he sort of you know, recited it um, as part of his sort of coming-of-age ritual. But by that time, we could, we could sort of see within uh, Thai, a, a certain uh, strand of Thai monastic scholarship, the Jatakas were falling into disfavour. And this continues uh, through the, uh, the late 19th century. There's, a, there's another strand of monastic scholarship, which, or of Buddhist scholarship, I should say, which becomes very important. That is uh, when uh, Western scholars uh, start uh, investigating and examining um, Buddhist uh, Buddhism. Uh, which they encounter mostly through, um, uh, you know, through the colonisation of, of Buddhist countries. So uh, you're getting people like uh, the, the famous one is, is Rhys David's book on, on, on the Buddhist birth stories, which is the first kind of full-length little study of the Jatakas, which um, kind of re which again uh, portrays the Jatakas more as a uh, a storehouse of, of folk literature uh, that came from you know India uh, in the you know the, the, the periods before the the common uh, the period before the common era, uh, rather than any um, sort of meaningful um, uh, sort of uh, Buddhist literature, and it turns out that the uh, Thai uh, uh, monastic scholars at the court level were reading this uh, scholarship as well. Reading this, you know, the English language uh, scholarship on, on on the Jatakas and on other sort of related texts, uh, which are quite disparaging of the of the, the type of Buddhism, if you like, that is presented in the in the Jatakas, and it turns out that King Jhulalongkorn's essay was was basically modelled on Rhys David's uh, study of uh, of the Jatakas. So this is a case of uh, a Buddhist kingdom, scholars of, of, a, of a Buddhist kingdom actually taking up the uh, Western uh, Buddhist scholarship produced by these colonial scholars, uh, which had, which for, for whom the, the Jatakas weren't the real Buddhism. Uh, and it got to the to an extent where in the 1893 uh, publication of the first uh, Tripitaka, that uh, corpus of canonical uh, Theravada Buddhist scriptures, uh, published in the Thai script, uh, the first ever publication of the Buddhist Canonical scriptures in the Thai script. They omitted uh, the, the Jataka book and a number of other books which are related to, to the Jataka book, which showed you that showed you the how, how the Jatakas have been discredited uh, within uh, uh, both the sort of elite Thai scholarship as well as sort of international um, uh, Buddhist scholarship. You know, people involved with the Party Tech Society and, and others. So we could sort of see that there's a sort of a scholarly uh, movement against the legitimacy of, of the Jatakas. So I, I outlined that in the book. But I think the other, the other aspect of it was the, the political ideas that the Jatakas uh, helped promote, the idea of the Bodhisattva king, 
by the uh, the late 19th century, the, you know, the uh, with, with the colonial pressures on the Thai court, the Thai th these ideas were seen to be were ridiculed, in fact, by um, by you know, Western colonial scholars, and the Thai uh, the Thai monarchy, the Thai court, uh, undergoes this transformation by which they start to present themselves in, in a different way. Uh, in, in the manner of a, I guess you could say, sort of enlightened, if you like, enlightened uh, European-style monarchy. So th this is this is a period in which um, uh, both the canonical uh, legitimacy of the Jatakas is discredited, as well as the the ideas that the Jatakas uh, helped uh, sustain and promote. Uh, they they are rejected by 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 the Thai court at, at the highest levels. This is really one of the, the really rich parts of the text and there are so many layers that we could go into that we don't have time to cover. But speaking of time, one of the subsidiary points that caught my eye that I'd be really interested to hear about from you briefly is how with the uh, idea of historical time in the sense of history as a discipline, the notion of what the Jatakas were and their place in relation to other texts changed. Do you, would you like to comment on that before we move on to other topics? That's right. Um, so within this uh, pre-modern Buddhist conception of time, the Jatakas were actually central because they told the story of the Bodhisatta before he becomes the Buddha. And they told this, this absolutely central story of the Bodhisatta accumulating the perfections, the, the Barami, uh, which was the prerequisite to becoming, to, you know, to perfecting yourself to such a level where you could become enlightened as a Buddha. So they're, they're just they're central to uh, the story of, 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 of Buddhism and the story of the, the person of the Buddha. Uh, but within historical time, uh, and this is something that, that the Rhys Davids and other um, European scholars are, are trying to show, that, that there is, they actually... On, on historical and, and sort of textual grounds, you know, t you know critical textual grounds, uh, they are there, there is no historical veracity, um, and you know, Jules Longhorn takes this, this up himself. He's saying by saying that you know th th these stories they're not true. They're just they're just they're just folk tales. So a new kind of criterion of historical truth is uh, is. Is, is, is accepted really by, by, by the Thai court uh, at this time, uh, by which the Jatakas can no longer be accepted as historical truth. Um, but it's very difficult for the, you know, I think it's, it's a case in which all uh, you know, modernizing, colonized countries face where they are. Uh, it's very hard to completely reject your own tradition and accept this this foreign uh, cultural religious tradition, uh, but you need to kind of sort of I guess repackage it or, or manage it in a different way. And what happens with the Jatakas is that they are repackaged. And I would say you know King Tula Longhorn and uh, the scholarly elite at this time, this is what they try and do, is they repackage the Jatakas as as folk tales essentially, as you know, not 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 true stories. Uh, but folk tales, which are kind of kind of the, the part of the corpus of, of Thai literature, and because there's so many of them, you can't you can't ignore ignore them. Um, they they are just um, you know, everyone knows these stories. You can't uh, you can't completely reject them. But but what you can do is to uh, re represent them as being part of the literary 
um, heritage, if you like, of the Thai of the Thai nation. This is the year where uh, ideas of the Thai nation are starting to be um, uh, starting to form. Uh, and so this is the way that the, the Jatakas are, are represented. And there's this, as I talk about in the book, there's a sort of publication project um, that uh, you know, publishes these stories as, as folk tales, essentially, with, and, and the, you know, the, the publications are accompanied almost always by, um, as this happens in, in time, uh, with, a, an, with the essay by, by King Tulalongkorn saying how the Jatakas should be read. Not as you know, true stories, nothing really to do with Buddhism, but as... Um, uh, you know, as folk tales, which are an enjoyable read and part of uh, Thailand's literary heritage. All right. Now, you said earlier on that you were interested in thinking through uh, the Jatakas, also the storytelling from below, and we went through all of the earlier um, periods in which the Jatakas were so much a part of people's daily lives and the Wasantara Jataka in particular, so was there any pushback from different parts of the country, perhaps uh, hinterland regions that weren't yet well integrated with the administration at the centre? Uh, did people object to these attempts to rationalise and transform their understanding of the Jatakas in ways that uh, were different from how they practised them for so long? Um, uh, did they remain impervious? Did the old practices continue despite the efforts of Bangkok? Or did Bangkok, in fact, succeed? Yeah, this is a good question. And it's I have been sort of criticised on these grounds too. Uh, I think Justin McDaniel has, has written some good stuff on this. Um, like a lot of the reforming efforts uh, embarked upon by the Thai court, um, they're most effective you know, at, at the centre uh, but the further out of the, the royal city you go, uh, the less effective uh, they are. And it appears that, uh, you know, in, in, in the countryside, the, where obviously the majority of the population lived, uh, the uh, Jatakas and the, the Santra Jataka also, you know, remained as popular forever, uh, remained as popular as ever, you know, for, for, for a long time. Over time... Uh, I think even you know, in the last uh, three or four decades, even in the provinces, its popularity has has uh, has declined, um, but uh, much more slowly than uh, one might have um, expected. Uh, so it, it begins with you know the, the, these this quite strong efforts by the Thai court at the you know the turn of the, the 20th century, um, but it, it takes quite a long time before uh, the, uh, the the Jatakas and the beliefs which they uh, espouse sort of fade in the uh, in the rural areas, and that's sort of the point that I, c I come back to in the uh, sort of the final chapter. Well, let's move to that final chapter, and um, in that final chapter, among other things, uh, you end the book uh, by saying that we might look upon the recently passed away King Bumipon as Thailand's modern Wesantara. Would you care to explain? Yes, so the uh, the book is kind of uh, the, the focus of the book is really this this pivotal moment where um, the, the Jatakas are rejected and, and sort of uh, re represented as, as as folk tales. And at this very moment of obviously that the Thai monarchy is trying to transform itself, as I say, into the uh, um, along the lines of, of the model, you know progressive, modernising, enlightened uh, European monarchs. 
And I, I, I think the older, the older idea of, of monarchy, which is sustained by the Jatakas and its associated literature, this continues in the countryside for a long period to come, a long time to come. You know, modern education starts to you know, become increasingly, you know, expands out the countryside, and people are uh, gradually, very gradually, starts to replace monastic education. But it takes quite a long time. So the point is that these ideas, although they're kind of rejected by the Thai court, which is trying to present itself as a, as a modern monarchy, and of course, after the overthrow of the absolute monarchy in 1932, um, you know, the monarchy is really to out of the picture um, up, and, you know, before its restoration at the end of the 1940s, uh, and particularly the end of the 1950s. So I think what, what happens with the really the restoration of the monarchy under King Pomipon is that you get to use a sort of the, the Weberian idea, that sort of a re-enchantment of, of, of the monarchy with these religious ideas. And again, this is something that uh, Christine Gray has uh, written on very, very nicely, that um, all, all of this sort of pre-modern, uh, uh, these pre-modern ideas that the Jatakas had uh, expressed is sort of revived from the, about in the 1960s and starts to kind of envelop you know, the, the, the monarchy under King Pumipon, and really perhaps not so much the monarchy, but the person, the monarch, King Pumipon himself. Um, the ideas of the king as, as, as a bodhisattva, as a future Buddha, becomes, is revived. And I think this needs to be looked at quite carefully because, of course, I think the monarchy, um, the way that the image handlers, if you like, um, uh, uh, manage the manage the, the the monarchy's public relations, if you like. It does change over time. So we see early on he's you know, he's the development king, or firstly you know he's the jazz king, the kind of the cool um, modern guy. You know, he's a sportsman, he's a painter, he's a bit of a Renaissance man. Um, later on he's a he's the development king. You know goes he's out there you know trying to develop the countryside. Uh, he has a very um, during the Cold War period, he's almost always in military uniform, so there is that sort of um, uh, that martial element um, that is uh, promoted in the you know the fight against communism. Um, but but even during this period, you, you're getting a much more the, the religious conceptions start to be emphasised more and more. And I think in the in the 1990s, with the end of the Cold War, that these sort of come to the fore even more strongly. Um, and the king himself, as I discuss in the book uh, in his you might sort of say his kind of uh, his 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 writerly phase he goes through this phase where he starts writing books um, which become you know the MSP promoted of course um, and the one of the most famous ones was his book on uh, the uh, uh, Mahajanaka Jataka the Mahajanaka the Mahajanaka Jataka um in Thai is one of the the last ten uh, Jataka stories. So the, the last ten Jataka stories are the famous ones. So the Visantra Jataka is the very last one. The Mahajanaka Janaka, I think it's the fifth or the sixth one. And um, so it's again, it's a story of the Bodhisattva. And uh, this story, it's of a king who is exiled from his kingdom, and he wants to, you know, return to his kingdom and reclaim the throne. Um, this, you know, each of those ten Jataka, the final ten Jatakas, are supposed to express one of the the, the, the ten perfections. This, based on this, the Buddhist theory of the ten perfections, the ten parami, and in this book is the perfection of perseverance. You know, trying hard. Um, and so he 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 writes this book. So basically, he is essentially 
um, you know, presenting himself, as I say in the book, it's essentially an allegory of his own reign um, as, a, as a modern uh, bodhisattva. Uh, it's quite a remarkable thing. Um, and I think what, if you, if you look at the, the immense, extraordinary, um, sort of charismatic authority that the king was able to uh, amass, really, particularly in the, sort of the, the, the latter decades of his reign, which we're still seeing now in the outpourings of grief, and, uh, and mourning following his his, his death, I, I think it really is a uh, a product of the way that the monarchy has been um, really has, has 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 sort of reconnected with these these Buddhist roots uh, by which the the king is not not a modernising well I guess that's in there as well um, but but he, he is this you know pious. Uh, perfect being a future Buddha. I think that comes out quite, quite, quite clearly. Um, you know, we can sort of see that that idea quite clearly um, since uh, since his passing away, if not um, before. Well, that uh, response really brings me to one of my final questions, um, or perhaps it's a, a request of sorts. Uh, we probably hopefully have some undergraduate and graduate students listening and maybe some of yours as well, Patrick. If you were to hold up this text uh, as an example of um, Southeast Asian studies history and make a pitch to students about what we can learn about Southeast Asia today through study of its past, um, a history of the present, as it were, then what would you say to them? Yeah, I, I think, uh, particularly from a student point of view, uh, a lot of the way we sort of understand Southeast Asia is seen through the lens of, of the mass media, and they have their job, and we can't, you know, that, that's, that they're doing their job. But it, it tends to be dominated by, I guess, a, a rather, uh, the way the West, I guess, sort of sees, sees monarchy in this case. And what I wanted to show in the book is that I wanted to kind of Try and reveal the way uh, sort of an indigenous an indigenous understanding of monarchy to see how you know people within this this particular country understands uh, monarchy and that's not to you know kind of say that that's the only way of seeing it but I think we we should understand how people within these countries understand these things uh, on you know on their own terms as one factor in explaining you know, you know explaining how how the the Thai monarchy of all, I mean, if you think about the Thai monarchy in by comparison with with you know, monarchies around the world, it is extraordinarily successful. Uh, has been. H- how can we explain this? Um, now, that's, that's a, that would be a long answer, but I think you can't understand it unless you understand. Part of the explanation, I would say, is, is understanding how you know, people within this country understand. And I'd say to do that, you need to understand this. Uh, this 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 Buddhist theory of monarchy on which it's based. I felt in reading the text like you were in some ways, you weren't saying this, but perhaps implying that if someone approached the study of uh, contemporary politics in Thailand through the lens of, say, uh, Weberian or Marxist uh, theory, then they, they're likely to misapprehend what they see and that uh, an appreciation of uh, current events is, is contingent on some understanding of, of pre-modern Buddhist political theories. Indeed, you, you refer to the monarchy in Thailand as superficially modernised. Would you care to comment on that? Yeah, uh, th- thanks for <laughs> pointing that out. I think one of the things that 
developing countries have to do is to present themselves, to make themselves look acceptable in the eyes of, of more powerful uh, powers, which to a certain extent you know, set the frameworks by which these countries, you know, operate. And and I think you know the the Taiwan community has been very successful in, in doing this and presenting themselves as this you know, these, sort of these modern monarchs. And as I say, according to the kind of the European model. Um, but the older this older understanding, I think it, it's never gone away because it has such deep roots. I mean, it just goes back, you know, 800 years, and arguably, I mean, if you look at the, the Buddhist tradition prior to that it, in Southeast Asia, you can see these ideas. There, I mean, there are old representations of bodhisattvas, you know, in stone, going back to I think the fifth or the sixth century of the Common Era. These are ancient ideas, and they don't just go away, you know, uh, over the course of you know, a few decades of, of European, you know, colonial, you know, I think quite intensive uh, penetration, that they're, they're, they're still there, um, perhaps not all in, in the same form, but, but we have to understand that I, I think you need to kind of get beyond that sort of superficial presentation of, of the monarchy in this case, not just the monarchy, there are other institutions you can look at, and just look at the, the, the you know, the, 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 the ideas within these societies on which these institutions are, uh, are based. Right. I'm aware that you've been doing some work in more recent times on lineages of republican thought in Thai political culture. So is the sequel to this book on the theory of monarchy going to be the theory of republicanism or maybe flora and fauna of the Chartikas or something else? Yeah, uh, maybe it was a reaction against uh, working for such a long time on, on monarchy. And also a reaction, of course, against the way that Thailand is, is, is always presented as this you know, deeply monarchical country where you know, everyone loves the king, etc., etc. And it's out there for anyone to discover that Thailand actually has a very old tradition of republicanism. I would argue you know, one of the oldest traditions of republicanism in Southeast Asia. And... Uh, it was, you know, it was popular really up until not not so long ago, and it's really been during the reign of this, of this king where that tradition, that old tradition, has been really successfully, largely successfully uh, suppressed. Uh, but yeah, it's still around. There are sort of Republican websites I see now, and of course, part of the crisis of the last ten years has been due to uh, uh, or claims on the part of the. The royalists that uh, there is a plot to overthrow the monarchy. So, the idea of republicanism within modern Thailand has, has never really gone away. But so I, I have done some work on republicanism. But but I'm actually I've actually moved on to something a little bit different. I'm very interested in ideas of uh, proper behaviour, proper behaviour, manners, morality. So that's uh, the, the project that I'm uh, not, not a million miles away from from from, uh, from theory of monarchy, uh, but looking much more at um, uh, ideals of individual behaviour, not just for you know monarchs or aristocrats, but for uh, for everyday people. What time period are you concentrating on for that work? I'm looking at the period. I, I want to write uh, something which, again, it, it's a, it's it, I guess it's part of this whole interest in modernisation that I haven't sort of lost interest in. So from, again, the late the late 19th century up until the period of economic modernisation, so I guess from the 60s to the 1980s, in which sort of ideas of uh, how to behave undergo quite interesting transformations.
Well, uh, Patrick Jory, thanks a lot for taking the time to come on the New Books in Southeast Asian Studies to talk about Thailand's theory of monarchy, the Wasantara Jataka and the idea of the perfect man. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And again, just to note that the paperback also will be out in 2017, as I understand. So uh, everyone do get a copy. And if you have a suggestion for another book or an author that you'd like featured on this podcast, do send me an email at nick.cheesman, that's C-H-E-E-S-M-A-N, at anu.edu.au to let me know. Hey, thank God, you get the chance to vote. Monkey!